of a shepherd rescuing one of his sheep. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, it's been been all over a variety of social media and YouTube and this kind of thing. But what you see is uh, this sheep is stuck head first in a trench, right? He's got his shoulders and his head down in this ditch. He's real narrow and deep, and the sheep can't get himself out, right? And so here comes the shepherd, and he comes along, and, and uh, he sees his precious sheep struggling. He's you know, kind of used to the back end of him is all you can see. And he's just kind of running around on top of the ground, accomplishing not very much, because he's stuck. And the shepherd sees uh, his sheep struggling, grabs her by the back legs, and pulls her out. And the funny part comes right after that. Because the sheep is delighted to be freed and runs around joyfully for about three seconds, at which point it is stuck again, head first, in a different place in the same trench. <laughs> okay. The, the clip that I saw was called Jesus Pulling Me Out of My Mess. Um, <laughs> but, but here's my question as you think about this. What do you think happened next? What do you think happened next? While you're pondering that, I want you to turn over with me to uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 40. And uh, it's going to teach us some things about what kind of shepherd that we have. And if you're able, I invite you to stand as I read Psalm 40. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not del delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. And then I said, Behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. 
May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we come to You like sheep who are ever prone to grow, go astray and to get caught in a mess we can't get ourselves out of. And Father, we pray that, that You would remind us of what kind of God You are as we look at Your Word here this morning. Help us remind us, help, help remind us, Father, of Your steadfast love and faithfulness to us in all circumstances and at all times. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, uh, this psalm has two major principles to teach us sheep who are prone to getting stuck. Amen? Uh, the first one is found in verses 1 to 10 where David shows us how to rejoice in our past redemption. Verses 1 to 3 are David's testimony. And he was in a mess. And he describes it as being like a miry bog, a pit of destruction. Um, Y'all who have known me a while know I love the movie The Princess Bride, right? Think the lightning sand, right? It sucks you under. And you cannot get out. Uh, this is a life-threatening situation that he could not get out of on his own. David is in the muck. You feel me? And it is pulling him under. It's very possible he was thinking about the time that he was fleeing for, for his life while being chased by King Saul and his army. You know, there's a, there's a scene in, um, in 1 Samuel where David is being chased and he's on one side of a mountain and King Saul and his entire army are on the other side. And this is the worst game of Pop Goes the Weasel ever as they're chasing each other around this thing. Because if David gets caught, it's a whole lot worse than tag your it. You feel me? When Saul catches him, he is going to take his life. And David says, look, I was in a pit of destruction. Maybe he had in mind the life that he had before he put his trust in the Lord. He was in a pit headed for destruction. Regardless, what we see, David cried out to the Lord in prayer and the Lord answered him and rescued him. He says, I remember this situation and I cried out to you. I put my trust in you and you heard me and you answered. And in contrast to being in a situation where he felt like he was being slowly sucked into the mud and it was going to swallow him, God gave him a new and a solid life. He said, I wasn't in the muck anymore. I was put on the rock and given a firm place to stand. I remember something like this happening. I was walking around one of the lakes at Brown County State Park as a kid. Uh, you know, picture picture me as about a ten year old boy. Uh, I was never in that period of my life without a, a hat and a cap pistol on my hip. You know, I, I had a I had a leather holster. The cap pistol went in, right? and I had a piece of rope I had made into a bullwhip because I wanted to be Indiana Jones, right? 
and I was hiking around this lake with my parents in a pair of cowboy boots, and I jumped up on this rock, and I went, aha, you know, and I went right off the rock into the lake, <laughs> right? My parents saw my hat, like, floating on the surface of the, of the pond, and I came up sputtering, right? And then I'm walking back to the campground we were staying at with water uh, squirting out the stitches of my boots, right? Little fountains. And, uh, and, you know, this is kind of the deal. My dad reached in and pulled me out, right? He gave me a firm place to stand. Son, you don't want to stand to the lake. They're slick, right? A fact that I found out and confirmed. Um, but David says, look, when you pulled me out, you gave me a new and a solid life. And as a result of all these things, he says that God gave me a new song. He put a new song in my mouth. One that he hopes that will cause many other people to see what God has done for him and to fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Just like he did. He's saying in a sense, look at my life. Look at what God did for me. And if you trust in the Lord... God will do the same for you as He's done for me. He'll pull you out of the muck. He will rescue you. He'll give you a new life. He'll give you a new place to stand. And then verses 4-8, through eight, they're the words of the song. He said, you gave me a new song. Verse 3, verse 4, He starts telling us the words. He gives us the lyrics of the song. He says, first of all, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Turn to proud to those who go astray after a lie. He's reminding us here that trusting the Lord leads to blessing. We all need to remember that. That trusting the Lord leads to blessing. Going your own way. I've paid some tuition on that, by the way. I found out this is right. Going your own way, away from the Lord, does that lead to blessing? Say it with me. No, it does not. It does not lead to blessing. What happens is, is that going the way that you want is prideful, just like he says here. If you think to yourself, uh, you know, I don't need the Lord. I can live my life how I want. What you will discover is that God does not bless you in that. And worse, that your life becomes a mess of your own making. And you get to live in it. And the Lord says, you want what you want to live your own life? Fine. I'll let you. And pretty soon you find yourself sitting up to a banquet of your own self-inflicted consequences of the terrible decisions that you've made, right? In your pride, you thought you could do it on your own, but you can't do it on your own. So David says, look, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. In verse 5, David exalts the Lord. He praises Him for how He acts and thinks about us, His people. Worth celebrating. He says, There's more that God has done for me. There's more in, in more wonderful ways that you think about me, Lord, than I can even tell. I run out of words. You ever, you ever, I have this trouble sometimes, it's increased as I've gotten older, where you're trying to come up with the right word for something and you can't remember what it is, right? You're like, what is that? You know, um, and 
and you're trying to come up with the right word and you can't. And this is kind of the, the feeling that David is expressing. He says, if I were to try to explain how amazing God is, I can't come up with enough words. I can't come up with the right words. I can't say it well enough. And this guy is much more of a poet than I've ever thought about, right? But uh, he says, I would run out of words. There's more that can be told. We'll run out of words and time to tell how God good has how good God has been to us. And in verses six through eight, David is talking about how to worship God from the heart. And while you remember that David is writing in the context of an old covenant where sacrifices and offerings were definitely required, he says here, sacrifices and offerings you've not delighted. What's he talking about? What's up with that? Well, David is saying, look, the main thing that God wants from us those sacrifices. The sacrifices are there to remind His people that what God really wants is not dead animals burned on an altar, but living people who delight to obey Him with all of their heart and life. Amen? God was never that into dead animals. The sacrifices were there to remind people that they needed to follow Him with all of their heart and life and to make a way to cover over their sin when they failed to do that. And to say, look, when you're a sinner, sin requires a death penalty to be paid. And thank God it's not you who dies. There's a substitute that is offered instead. But what I really want is for you to follow me from the heart. And the sacrifices are there too often because we sheep go right back into the pit that God just pulled us out of. And while God will rescue us again and again and again, Again, His delight is in us when we follow Him and we do His will. Amen? In the scroll of the book, it's written of me. What's written of me? That I delight to do Your will, O Lord. Your law is within my heart. He's saying, look, this is where I want to live my life. I want to be the person about whom it is written that I delight to do God's will and that His law is not something I obey from the outside, but something I obey from internal desire to please and delight the Lord. Now after verse 8, the direction of this psalm shifts. David's been testifying to, his con to, the, to the congregation, in other words, to all the people who assemble for worship in Jerusalem. you got to remember, this is a worship song. This is performed in public. And all the people are gathered, and so David is using this song to testify about all of the wonderful things that God has done for him in the past. But beginning in verse 9, David starts praying to God again. He's not testifying to the congregation, he's praying to the Lord. And in verses 9 to 10, David tells the Lord he's been testifying about all that you've done for me. Lord, I've, I've been telling people 
about all the good stuff that you have done and the way you rescued me and the way you delivered and the way that you have amazing thoughts toward me and the way that you've cared for me is too wondrous to tell, but I'm doing my best to tell people. I'm telling you, I'm telling them all about it, Lord. I haven't kept quiet, but I've proclaimed your deliverance and your rescue and your steadfast love that you have for me to all the people in all the temples. And these verses, verses 1 through 10, provide us with an example to follow. Amen? Whenever God rescues us in any situation where we've been in trouble, we've sought the Lord and He responded, and especially when we have received salvation from sin and death, and we should constantly be telling people about the good things that God has done for us that they might know God and, under, and experience His deliverance and salvation too. Amen? We shouldn't keep a lid on all the joy that we have as believers in Christ. And we shouldn't take for granted God's deliverance. Our, our friends ought to get annoyed with us. Because we're always telling them about the good things God has done for me lately. We shouldn't take for granted the fact that He rescues us. You know, uh, we love here at Chili Bible to gather in the middle of the week and pray and get together, uh, several of us, and pray for all the needs of people in the church. A lot of times people are quick to give us a prayer request. They're very slow to follow up with us and tell us how God answered. Right? Why is that? Well, it's because we kind of take God's answer for granted, don't we? We don't celebrate and rejoice in the fact that God showed up. God showed up for me, y'all. And this is what He did. And this is how it worked out. And praise God. And you don't tell as many people about God's deliverance as you told about the trouble you were in you needed His deliverance for. Amen? So David is here giving us an example of, look, when God shows up for you, testify. Tell people. You won't believe what happened. You won't believe what happened, what God did for me. All the good He has done for me has been more than I can tell you about, but let me tell you about this week. That's the idea of what David is doing here. Don't keep a lid on your joy. Don't take for granted God's deliverance. He's been unbelievably good to you, far more than you have words to tell. And so you should rejoice constantly in what He has done for you. Amen? If, if for no other reason than simply in the fact that you were a sinner who was headed for hell on a rocket ship. Amen? And in spite of that, God said, you know what, I'll do everything necessary to go get that sorry sinner and bring them into my family. I will send my own son to die on a cross, to be crucified and killed, to be raised the third day, to bring that person into my family and make them mine. If we have nothing else to celebrate, not going to hell and instead being in God's family is a big enough deal that we ought to have plenty to celebrate. Amen? I, I'll celebrate that. Anybody else want to join me? Right? Um, 
Yeah, we have plenty to celebrate. Not just that I'm not going to hell. Just the fact that God has made me His kid. Come about that? That's the most startling, shocking thing the Bible tells us. That we have become the children of God. Now, um, so David is beginning to pray, and he's beginning to pray passionately for present protection. Because David, believe it or not, has gotten himself into a mess again. I know that doesn't relate to anyone else's life, right? Uh, after I became a believer in Jesus, I always made good decisions, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, the discipleship group I lead on Thursday night, uh, I think a few of the guys were shocked to discover that that was not my testimony. <laughs> But no, it wasn't, right? I didn't always make good decisions. I didn't always completely follow the Lord. I didn't always uh, submit every area of my life to follow Jesus. I screwed up huge in ways uh, both uh, serious and manifold, right? Uh, lots of different ways at lots of different times and lots of ways big and small, right? So just like David, I got myself into a mess more than once. Right? What kind of shepherd do we have? Let me ask this question again. What do you think the shepherd did when he found his precious sheep was stuck in a different spot in the same trench? Hold him out. More importantly, how do you think God reacts when having rescued you from your sin and your mess once before that you fall right back in the same pit he just pulled you out of. Now some of y'all think that when you fall back into your mess, you think God scowls at you. In fact, if you imagine coming before God as He's sitting on His throne, you think of Him as being utterly disappointed to see you show up. Right? But that is not the God that we have. The God that we have loves you when you're a sinner. He loved you before you knew Him. He definitely loves you after. You think God throws His hands up in the air and says, oh, I can't believe it. Again? Really? i got to go get you again? Can't you stay out of the ditch for 10 seconds? I mean, I just literally pulled you out. But here's the reality that the Scripture reveals to us, that God's grace is bigger and wilder than you have ever dared to dream. And you are more loved than you know, even though your sin is worse than you do. Verse 11 and following give us the answer to these questions. Look at verse 11 with me. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and faithfulness will ever preserve me. This is David's expression of confidence as he prays. He's saying, look, Lord, I know my mess is not bigger than your mercy. 
My mess is not bigger than God's mercy. How does David know? Because he knows that God's love isn't like us. He loved us first when we were in the pit, and he loves us still. And that's what God's steadfast love and faithfulness means. It means that his mercy doesn't run out. You don't hit your quota. Nope, nope, sorry, we're all out of mercy today. I mean, you're you're like you're behind a little bit. Um, I mean, you're you're you need to like, you know, work this out on your own for a bit, and then I'll give you mercy. That's not how it works at all. His mercy is steadfast. By the way, um, this is this is one Hebrew word that I want to teach you. His steadfast love. It's the word in Hebrew. His Hesed. This is his covenant faithfulness. It doesn't translate well into English, but it's the idea that God has a love for you that, regardless of your performance, does not give up on you. That it is relentless and unstoppable and will not turn loose of you, though you richly deserve it. You feel me? That God has made His vow to you. He is in covenant with you. And He has put His wedding ring on His hand and He will not take it off no matter what comes. Your mess is not bigger than His mercy. And you see what what David is saying here in verse 12? Even if it's the mess you made for yourself, This is what David says in verse 12. Evils have encompassed me beyond number. In in other words, he says, look, I'm surrounded by stuff. And on top of that, my iniquities have overtaken me. You know know what iniquities are? Sins. Okay. In other words, this is a self-inflicted situation that I'm in. This is the consequences of my own sinfulness coming home to roost. And I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head. Now, let me say this. I don't know how much hair I have on my head. I know there is less than I sleep with. But it's more than I would like to sit down and count individually. Right? How many, how many hairs do you have on your head? I don't know. More than one in most cases. Right? A few of you might have an easier time. But, but the... The idea is is that you have many, many, many more than one. Okay? He says, I cannot count how much trouble I'm in. Lord, I'm in a pile of trouble. I'm up to it to my eyeballs. I cannot see out of the situation that I'm in. I need help. I need rescue. Said my heart fails me. In other words, this is the idea, okay? Your heart fails. It's a situation where you're like, I don't know what to do at all. I got no plans. I got no way of getting out of this. I'm in a mess. Help. And that's where he 
cries out to God again. He's, we see him calling out for deliverance, verses 13 to 17. Look how he prays here. He says, verse 13, he begs God to deliver and to do so quickly. I don't know what situation he's in, but I, I you know, I, just looking at the history of David's life that we have, it very well could be uh, after his sin with Bathsheba. You know, God did not take David's life when he confessed his sin with Bathsheba before Nathan the prophet, but what David did experience was that there was continual bloodshed for the rest of his reign. He lost four of his sons after that. There was more than one rebellion while he was still on the throne. Two different sons tried to take the throne from their dad. Adonijah and Absalom. Absalom's uh, rebellion was much more serious, much more widespread. Bathsheba's grandfather, who was David's prime minister, a man named Ahithophel, joined the rebellion. He was like, you're going to abuse my granddaughter. I'm going to make sure that you pay on that. We're not told exactly what the situation this psalm might have been written in, but we know that David's life was never completely at peace again. Thousands of people joined in one of a couple of different attempts to overthrow him. His enemies became numerous, and David knew that he was reaping what he had sown. And nevertheless, he says, let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. You know what they're doing when they say that? This is a poetic way of talking about the, the cry of the people who think they're about to win. We're like, we got him now. Ha ha! And he says, God, I know I don't deserve this. But would you shame them and exalt me? What kind of God would do that? Well, our kind, specifically. The kind that loves his children. The kind who delights to pull us out of a mess. Because His mercy is bigger than our mess is. David knows that with the Lord, he's never without hope. So that's what he does. He seeks the Lord. And even though he knows he doesn't deserve God's rescue, even though he deserves the blame for the mess that he's in, he puts his trust in the Lord to rescue him even so. And so in verse 16, David asked that everyone who seeks the Lord would be able to rejoice and be glad, and that those who love His salvation would be able to continually say, Great is the Lord. You know why that's here? Because David is like, I want to be able to say that. I want to be able to say that. I want to be able to say, Great is the Lord continually, even though I don't deserve to. 
even though I've made a mess of my life. He says, I'm one who seeks the Lord and delights in His salvation. Am I perfect? Not by a long shot. Because of who God is and not who David is. David prays that God would rescue him and everyone else who seeks the Lord and rejoices in His salvation so they can continually rejoice in God's mercy. And the psalm concludes with David telling the Lord, look, I need deliverance right now. Come quickly. In other words, Lord, hurry up, because I'm in trouble. He is poor and needy, but he knows the Lord loves him, so he asks for God to show up for him and to do it quickly. Now, does all this make sense? I hope so. What kind of God do you have? That's the fundamental question being answered by this psalm. Do you think that God will answer your prayers to rescue you in a mess that you have made for yourself? The answer this psalm gives is that He will not only do so, but He will come quickly to your aid. Why is this psalm in the Bible? Because that's exactly the kind of God that we have. David knew it. And men and women, you need to know this too, deep in your guts. You need to know that the same kind of God who pulled you out of a pit of destruction initially is the same God whose steadfast love and faithfulness will pull you out again and again and again out of the sin that you get entangled by. That your mess will not exceed His mercy on one condition. If out of that mess you seek Him. If you say, Lord, here I am again. Screwed it up for the 150,000th time. Need help. Will He show up? He will show up. And when God shows up and rescues you, notice I did not say if, when God shows up and rescues you once more, we have David's example in the first half. Reminding us that we have the beautiful responsibility and privilege to worship God with praise for all He has done for us. Rescuing us time and time again until the great day when our rescue is finally complete. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a God of inexhaustible mercy. A God who loved us when we deliberately jumped in the ditch. And we were headed for hell not because You are mean, but because we hated You. And we wanted nothing to do with You. And we wanted to go our own way because in our own pride we were convinced that our way that leads to death was better than Your way that gives life. And in spite of that, Father, Your overwhelming love came and sought us out. 
And by your Holy Spirit, you ensured that we not only got the gospel, but that we believed and were converted. And since then, Father, you have shown us over and over your unexhaustible willingness to forgive and rescue and help and heal until the day when we are healed completely of all of our desire to sin and all of the effects thereof and all of even our ability to sin will one day disappear because of your mercy and your salvation. Father, if anybody's here today and they have been reluctant to come to your throne of grace and mercy, thinking my life is too much of a mess, I've made too many mistakes, I've made too much of a problem for myself, God would never love me. Father, I pray that today would be the day that they come before your throne. Because, Father, we know that your throne is one of grace and mercy and of help to those who are in need. Father, we pray that they would come boldly before you and receive the mercy that you promise. And, Father, help us to live in joy and in constant praise for all you have done all you are doing, all you will do for us in glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.